0: Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you. Uh, it's my real pleasure to introduce Dr. Laura Fish. Uh, Laura um, works at Northumbria, isn't it? <laughs> University of Northumbria. A uh, teacher's creative writing is a phenomenal you know, writer whose uh, novel, Strange Music, published in 2008, took a line through... Uh, part of this really complex history that we're exploring today around Bat Browning and really interesting lines and brought forward some intriguing kind of, you know, senses of things that often get elided in these kinds of histories. So it's a real pleasure that Laura's agreed to come and talk to us about more about the slavery side of this, more about the heritage, more about, you know, the fictional work that's working through here. So please see... Uh, join me in welcoming Laura. Uh,
1: so, good afternoon. It's it's a real honour to be here at the Ledbury Poetry Festival. And thank you very much, Simon and Cora, uh, for inviting me. Um, I'm very grateful to all of you who've come here this afternoon. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to be talking about um, my second novel, Strange Music, um, and my personal, I'd just like to say, my personal sort of relationship to significant places in Elizabeth Browning's life seems to have been sort of concertinéd in the past few days because I live in Newcastle. Uh, where Elizabeth's mother, Mary Graham Clark, uh, lived. My youngest son sings at Durham Cathedral, close to where Elizabeth was born, at Coxhoe Hall, um, and she was christened nearby at um, Kello Church. I've spent the last three days in Italy. Uh, I flew back uh, less than 24 (laughs) hours ago, and here I am in Ledbury, uh, close to where much of Elizabeth's childhood was spent. My talk is going to focus on my reimagining of Elizabeth Barrett in Torquay uh, and her family plantations in Jamaica. Um, Throughout the talk, I'm going to show slides from research uh, for the novel, uh, Strange Music. Um, Yep, here we are, that's the first one. Uh, this This is Rose Hall, didn't belong to the Barretts, but the um, water supply to Rose Hall um, belonged to the Barretts. Uh, This is typical of the plantation owners' houses. It faces south. Um, As you can see, it's very grand in design. Um, So throughout my talk, I'm going to be showing slides, but I'm also going to reflect upon the importance of place um, in the creation of, of my novel. Um, And I'm going to discuss how Elizabeth's dramatic monologue, The Runaway Slave at Pilgrim's Point, provided inspiration for the work, and how writing fiction um, can create mirrors made of words. I'm going to finish off by reading some short excerpts from the novel, but first I'm going to start off by setting a context for my own writing, and I'm going to discuss, as I said, the importance of place in the novel's creation. So, research-based learning and reflective practice are integral to my own creative writing, as with many writers within the academic world. Strange Music is set before Elizabeth met Robert Browning. Uh, The process of developing it involved using the practice of writing as a research method. It might seem strange uh, to some of you, or a contradiction in terms, to consider creativity as research. But in this particular book, much of the writing was experimental and functioned as an act of reaching back into Elizabeth's poetry and correspondence, and then forwards into the novel. And writing then sort of becomes a research method and a method of discovery in itself. The book, set between 1837 and 1840 in Torquay in Devon and, and at the great houses of Cinnamon Hill, And Greenwood in St. James, um, former homes of Elizabeth Barrett's family in Jamaica. So, this is Cinnamon Hill Great House. Uh, The singer Johnny Cash uh, had it as his Jamaican residence. Um, But the house, uh, this is the house that Elizabeth's father was born in, uh, Edward Barrett. Johnny Cash um, actually <laughs> let me have a look around it, which was wonderful. And he adored Elizabeth's writing um, and copied many of the poems onto parchment, uh, which she hung around the walls. Um, Elizabeth never went to Jamaica, but she knew of the plantations um, and heard of the terrible lives of the, of the slaves there, as um, Simon and Cora have discussed this morning. So what happens when we look at Elizabeth's background and the Barrett connections with Jamaica and slavery? Can we begin to see her life under a different light? Even similarities emerge between Johnny Cash, many, many writers, protest writers, lyrics, and Elizabeth's poems. They address issues of race, equality, um, privilege, power, pain, and champion the oppressed. During the period that I've written about, Elizabeth is at the climax of her illness and obsessed with the sea and night and death, and caught in a triangular conflict from the forces of her father, invalidity and opium addiction. The death of her brother Sam is the event linking her with Kadia and Sheba, who are the two female narrators in the book who are in Jamaica. The book offers a fictional exploration of Elizabeth's family from her own perspective and from a Creole and black woman's perspective, juxtaposed with the story of three women's experiences at a moment of crisis within the Barrett family itself. It may be more accurately described as a work of biofiction, where the distinction between fact and fiction become clouded. Although my writing is not directly biographical, or autobiographical, mirrors, identity, memory, and reflections all come into play. Uh, As a black child, myself, growing up in the south of England in the late 1960s and early 1970s, I was haunted by feelings of not belonging. It wasn't until I was in my early 20s that I discovered where my birth parents were from, Guyana, British Guyana, and Jamaica. However, I could make little sense of this information because I barely knew where these places were. It is of great importance to most people to have that sense of belonging. Uh, The sense of belonging to a place can be strengthened when you move away from it by your own free will or by force um, when you're moved to a different location. So I spent almost a year abroad when I was 21. I travelled through Egypt, Sudan, India, Nepal, Maintaining a relationship with such vast areas of the planet was an emotionally exhausting way to live. But being so far away from home helped me to put the past into some kind of perspective, as well as the place that I had considered to be and called home. Whether or not my first impressions of the new places were accurate, there was often a sharpness to them, a vividness. Being an outsider or a stranger can provide insights that local inhabitants don't have because of the ability to compare. Likewise, likewise, I viewed home, the place that I'd set out from, in a different light because I was seeing it from a distance, from a different perspective. After time, I came to view the place where I'd lived through rose-tinted spectacles. It appeared more homely. Similarly, with the passing of time, past events can come into sharper focus. So there are many stories behind the stories that a novel tells, often. One of the strange stories behind Strange Music is that I was transracially adopted and I went to Jamaica to find my history, uh, to find my father. And I discovered that my father owned a house that had belonged to the Barrett's family. A Greenwood Great House. Um, So Greenwood Great House, which is near to Montego Bay, was built in 1790 by Richard Barrett, one of Elizabeth's uncles. Uh, It was built primarily for entertaining their peers, uh, their friends. Huge parties, commonly known as busher house dances, were held here, especially after harvesting the sugar and at Christmas. The house was left by the Barretts almost overnight during the Jamaican slave rebellions. Um, and m- many or most of the personal possessions that they had remain. The stones from which these houses, Cinnamon Hill and Greenwood and m- many other great houses that the Barrett's owned, um, were built from stone that was carried from England in the ships as ballast. After unloading the stone, the ships were filled with sugar and then set sail from Jamaica to England or to trade across the world. The Barrett's went to Jamaica in the 1600s, And similarly to many prominent British families, they amassed enormous wealth from their sugar plantations. The Barrett estate extended approximately 12 miles from Little River near Montego Bay to Falmouth. So... Most people don't go around all the time thinking about what race they are um, but as the poet Toir Doricott said, when you look like what you are, the external world mirrors back to you an identity consistent with your idea of yourself. However, for somebody like me, who does, doesn't look like what I am because I was transracially adopted, those mirrors are broken. And it certainly was peculiar to travel to Jamaica and to find the very English heritage I was hoping to escape was waiting for me there, um, with my own family owning and living in one of the Barrett properties. So this is the dining room at Greenwood Great House. Um, Walking into the, the Greenwood was like traveling back in time, like stepping through the looking glass into a mirror world. Um, the two main texts that led me to conceive of the novel um, were Elizabeth's Runaway Slave at Pilgrim's Point, as I've mentioned, and another poem um, called Strategy, written by a Jamaican poet called Easton Lee. By weaving together three first-person narratives, one character is based on Elizabeth's Runaway Slave, I try to illustrate the degrading nature of the position of women in Jamaican slave society. And by repositioning and offering new perspectives on the Barretts, the book also oc- offers echoes some of the themes of Jean Rees's Wide Sagasso Sea, which is an important example of writing back to or rewriting the 19th century canonical text, Jane Eyre. Other purposes of my use of multiple narratives are to engage imaginatively with in- contrasting experiences of women in the institution of slavery. To make more central, hitherto marginalised narratives and perspectives, sort of from within the Barrett family, and to foreground and present the characters' struggle to overcome how they believe they are perceived. The way that my father has restored the property to its full grandeur evokes an atmosphere of the past, and memories of first seeing those spacious rooms remain very sharp and clear. Original oil paintings of the Barretts hang in the hall. Uh, This is Richard Barrett, Elizabeth's uncle. Rare collections of musical instruments and china made for the family by Wedgwood and decorated with the Barrett crest stand on washstands in many of the rooms. The air is heavy with a pungent scent of beeswax from polished wood, wooden floors, a stock of rare books and maps Dating from 1697 is held in the library. Four poster beds cast tall shadows across the sleeping chambers. This was an age of elegance and brutality. Lavish parties, sumptuous feasts, while their black slaves worked 16 to 18 hour days in the fields and sugar refineries. The gracious setting of the house and the current social conditions of wealthy Jamaicans compared to those of plantation workers reflect that era today. Although the past seemed ever present and the Barrett family history seemed to fill even the air, I was aware that something or some part of the past was missing. As a black woman, I could feel an absent history. So this is uh, the courthouse in Falmouth. Um, the nearest town to Greenwood and Cinnamon Hill Great House. It was built by Richard Barrett. Um, They owned a lot of houses, um, as I said, along along the north coast. Uh, Greenwood overlooks a golden bay. Crimson flowers climb the stone walls. Um, The turquoise blue Caribbean sea sparkles with silver stars and a warm wind with a fragrance of honey blows in from, from the ocean. But I've never been there. Um, without feeling haunted by this sort of absent history, a documentation that wasn't kept or wasn't even made. Um, This is the walk underneath the courtrooms that the slaves, if they'd been tried in court for committing some wrong, or if they were caught trying to run away, uh, they would either walk down here to freedom or to the gallows, Um, Greenwood's library reveals some, some forgotten histories. Um, as I've said, the Barretts were the largest plantation owners in Jamaica. Uh, the fragments of information that I covered about black women on the plantations, when pieced together, revealed a picture that mirrored that of the white plantocracy. It was a history of those who were enslaved, reflected back, crude and grotesque. This is Greenwood Great House's attic. This is where the maids, housemaids, would have slept. Um, literary presentations from colonial, colonial history of people of our African origin have, in the main, been mislaid, misleading, exaggerated, stereotypical, or at best, blurred. When I was, was researching strange music, the images I encountered of black women enslaved on the plantations in the Caribbean in the 1700s and 1800s varied from animalistic portrayals to idealisation and the erotic exotic other. Edward Long claims in The History of Jamaica, written in 1774, that he records not opinions but facts. But Long drew parallels between black females and primates. An orang-a-tang husband, he declared, would not be any dishonor to a top female. For my own part, he added, I think there are extremely potent reasons for believing that the white and the Negro are two distinct species. Long's account is typical of the history that associates black women with animality, claiming they gave birth as easily as an orangutan female. Negative and distorted images of black women were prevalent in the 1800s. Barbara Bush, enslaved women in Caribbean society, notes the following following generalizations to distance the black female from her white counterpart. The black woman was viewed as physically strong, exuding a warm animal sensuality, an inferior subspecies of the female sex. So Strange Music explores the notion that history consists of multiple, even contradictory, versions. Um, As I've said, it was inspired largely by Elizabeth Barrett's dramatic monologue, The Runaway Slave, which, as Cora has already discussed, depicts the multiple rape of a slave woman and the birth of her mixed-race child from whom she feels estranged. The poem tackles the complex issue of infanticide 200 years before Toni Morrison's beloved. The three narrators, Cadia, a Creole maid servant, struggling to save her child from the abusive attentions of of her master, Elizabeth Barrett's brother, Sam, Sheba, an indentured laborer and former slave mourning the loss of her lover, who is the runaway slave, and Elizabeth Barrett herself. Sheba's narrative shares the trauma of infanticide presented in The Runaway Slave and the complex problem of how a tragic past can be accommodated in memory. Kadia's voice offers an opposing point of view she conceives a child from Elizabeth's brother, Sam, in an attempt to obtain power and security and to attract him away from Mary Ann, Katie's small daughter, with whom Sam has had sexual relations since Mary Ann was nine years old. The character of Mary Ann um, is based on somebody that Sam, it would appear, did have a, a child that Sam did have sexual relations with. Um, and I found this documentation at Eton College Library, so Sam uh, went backwards and forwards between Jamaica and England um, many times, but like, because he his father felt there was a need to sort of restrain his behavior but he seemed to behave as badly in England as he did in jamaica um, so this is Barrett hall uh, the, the ma- one of the main res- another main residence of the Jam- the Barretts in Jamaica. Um, Barrett Hall um, was last bought and renovated by an English couple. They spent a lot of money and time restoring it to make it into their home. But when they moved in, about 40 years ago this is, they found it impossible to sleep there for even one night. They said that they felt it was haunted. And one of the reasons that... These great houses were left with such treasures inside, is because local people wouldn't go into the houses because of the stories they'd heard and they felt so superstitious. Um, they were so superstitious about the terrible things that happened in these houses. Um, so the barracks of Jamaica had numerous mixed race children. In the course of The novel, when Cadia meets her mother, Rebecca Lasley, again, who is a woman who actually existed, she discovers she is directly related to the Barretts, that Elizabeth's uncle, Samuel Moulton Barrett, is her own father. Elizabeth lived a privileged life because of the family's wealth from sugar plantations, and she wrote The Runaway Slave at Pilgrim's Point for American abolitionists during her honeymoon with Robert Browning. The poem is thought to be based on stories told to her by her uncle Richard, a cousin of her father's who lived in Jamaica. Uh, this, this is a photograph that my father showed me. He bought the house from William, William Carr Jarrett, who's the elderly man in the chair there. This photograph was supposed to have been, uh, this woman, sorry, who appears in the right, is a slave who was supposed to have died 30 years before the photograph was taken. Um, so whether you believe <laughs> in ghosts or not, this is the story uh, that I was told um, when I first saw this photograph. Um, I'm not mad, I am black, is the enslaved woman narrator's haunting refrain. It is with the extraordinary depth of emotion that the poet deals with the multiple rape um, of the black slave woman um, and her child's birth. The mother runs away, suffocates the child, and buries the corpse in the black earth, the blackness of the earth symbolising the colour of the mother's own skin. I am black, you see, and the babe who lay on my bosom so was far too white, too white for me. Elizabeth's passages include extracts with, within my book. Elizabeth's passages include extracts from her letters. Katie and Sheba narrate their own stories, as I've said, in Patois. Um, The responsibility of writing about and engaging directly with the experiences of black women in Britain has, in the main, fallen upon the shoulders of black women alone. And I became fascinated as I was writing the book um, that Elizabeth chose to write from a black female perspective, however problematic that might be perceived now in the language that she uses. Um, The act of writing itself is much like the construction of a mirror made of words looking at certain illuminated corners of or cracks within the mirror the author can see fragments of an objective reality that comprise the physical universe social communities political dynamics and other facets of human existence looking in other corners in certain other corners of the same mirror he or she may experience glimpses of a true self shattered are deftly behind a mask of public proprieties. So how deceptive are the popular images of Elizabeth Barrett Browning as a poet invalid and one half of, the literary, histories, of literary history's most beloved couple? Well, obviously Simon <laughs> has gone into uh, a lot of that in his talk this morning. And how, if one decides to write such about a famous historical figure, Can the void between fact and fiction be bridged to create a believable character? These are just two of the many questions that I faced when writing about Elizabeth Barrett and her Family Links with Jamaica. Strange Music actually began as a short factual history book about the the Barretts. Its transformation into a work of fiction was a lengthy process which arose from my desire to find different ways to reflect upon the period of Elizabeth's life when she was in Torquay. Initially, I was reluctant for Elizabeth to have a voice in the novel at all because I felt she had such a massive voice. Um, Anyway, um, although she and her poetry underpinned all of my research, then I decided that I did want to find ways to show a different picture because literature, like a mirror, has that power to reproduce and recreate images. Um, I just very much like this quotation from Virginia Woolf's, A Room of One's Own. She says that women have served all these centuries as looking glasses, possessing, possessing the magic and delicious power of reflecting the figure of man at twice its natural size. <laughs> if she begins to tell the truth, the figure in the looking glass shrinks. His fitness for life is diminished. How is he going to go on giving judgment, civilizing natives? making laws, writing books, dressing up, and speechifying at banquets, unless he can see himself at breakfast and dinner at least twice the size he really is. But a mirror image is only an illusion. Whatever is reflected back appears identical and yet is reversed. For instance, left becomes right when we look in a mirror. Similarly, literature does not simply perform the function of mirroring, as Virginia Woolf says, mirroring life back, thus enabling readers to reflect upon themselves and their world. Written words also hold the power to mask and conceal, to distort and deceive, to affect how we are portrayed and perceived by others. So I'm going to go, I think, back to this picture of Barrett Hall. Much of my writing engages with those who are in the margins. People who are othered, absent, and ignored. Um, Elizabeth's voice within the book um, not only expresses her hatred of slavery and the plantation system from which her family wealth was derived, although she is geographically and emotionally um, at a distance, she is trying to reach out to Cadia and Sheba which is part of the process of her becoming able to write from a black woman's perspective. Confinement and self-determination are the main issues connecting all three women, and throughout the book, issues of escape emerge. However, Elizabeth's narrative voice offers a very different kind of confinement to that of the other voices. Other purposes, some of the purposes between... Um, using multiple narrators uh, was that I wanted to engage imaginatively with the contrasting experiences of women in slavery and in presenting three perspectives um, I wanted to sort of foreground the, the novels the characters struggle as to how they perceive themselves. Other patterns and issues that surface within my work include women's weaknesses and triumphs in slave society, the bond between parent and child, social and moral breakdown, and the psychological damage resulting from the axis of triple oppression, race, gender, class, and madness, a recurrent thematic concern of Caribbean women's writing and within the runaway slave itself, the poem. The, sto- the story of relations between the Barretts and Black women and men dates back to 1655, when Hersey Barrett sailed from Port Royal, sailed into Port Royal, Jamaica. This is a photograph that I think was shown, a slide that was shown earlier, of Elizabeth and her son Penn uh, in Italy. Elizabeth was descended from generations of Jamaican slaveholders, and according to Julia Marx's Book, she believed she had African ancestry, though this theory is disputed by many academics. Elizabeth certainly believed her family to be cursed, and possibly because of their involvement with slavery and her belief, her possible belief that the Barretts had uh, African ancestry through her grandfather, Charles Moulton Barrett. In her younger years, she may have been preoccupied with her ancestry. She was 13 when she wrote in her diary, it is true that I would give 10 towns in Norfolk if I had them to own a purer lineage than that if of the blood of a slave, cursed are we from generation to generation. She described herself to Hayden as little and black. Anne Thackeray wrote, she is very small, she is brown. Thomas Chase describes her dark complexion According to Julia Marcus in Dead and Done, Robert Browning also had African ancestry. The founder of the London Browning Society and Browning's friend, Frederick James Furnival, investigated family records and tombstones to find out if Browning had Jewish had Jewish blood, as rumoured. After all, he had an uncle named Reuben. He found instead much circumstantial evidence that Margaret Tittle. Browning's grandfather's first wife had black blood. In colour, the poet's father was so dark that when, as a youth, he went out to his mother's Creole sugar plantation in St Kitts, the beadle of the church ordered him to come away from the white folk among whom he was sitting and take his place among the coloured people. The possibility that the Barretts and the Brownings had African ancestry is relevant and important because there was a perceived need to exercise any African blood that may have run through the Barrett family's veins. Julia Marcus strongly suggests that Elizabeth's father's eccentric behaviour and his attempts to control his 12 children and prevent any of them marrying was because of his fear of the West Indian or African blood coming out through the grandchildren. Who knows what mental sufferings of who knows the mental sufferings of Edward Barrett, Moulton Barrett, in this area of legitimate procreation? Racist fears based on family secrets would certainly explain why the news of grandchildren did nothing to mollify his extreme position. A married child was a dead child. His grandchildren did not exist for him. What is known is the Barretts of Jamaica did have numerous mixed-race children. For example, George Gooden Barrett had six children by a slave, Elisa Peters. The Jamaican Barrett will also suggests relations between white male Barretts and their black female slaves and housemaids. And if you look in the Jamaican telephone directory, Barrett is one of the most common names. There's pages and pages of them. Obviously, they would have taken their owner's name if they were slaves, but some of them could have been related as well. Um, Charles John Moulton-Barrett settled with a Creole woman in Jamaica. Um, Samuel Moulton-Barrett, Elizabeth's favorite uncle, left his female servant attendant Rebecca Lasley of Cinnamon Hill 100 pounds in consideration of her attention to him during his illness. Elizabeth writes to Miss Mitford in a letter dated the 1st of February 1844, we, you know, number our cousins after the tribes of Israel. So during weeks of research in Jamaica and reading through the stacks of carefully catalogued Barrett correspondence at Eton College and the British Library, I reassessed Elizabeth's life, her imagination in Torquay, the effects of opium on her writing and her health, her deep anxiety surrounding the possibility of her family connections with those who were enslaved on the sugar plantations. and very boldly, because I don't think I have the courage to write the book now (laughs) and to try and enter uh, the genius's mind, I'm going to read some short passages um, from Strange Music, which are written from Elizabeth's perspective. 3rd of January, 1839. 1839. We are stuck in the month of January. Bro said yesterday that when this frost thaws, I must be better. Or when Sam visits Torquay, whichever happens first. Sam's smile can melt the severest freeze. As will the warm glow Bro says he will surely bring from Jamaica. Sam claims, Bro remarked, that since the apprenticeship system ended, he has had to work like a slave. I agreed with Papa even before emancipation that the West Indies would be irreparably ruined if the emancipation bill was passed. Papa said that nobody in their senses would even think of attempting the culture of sugar and that they had better hang weights to the sides of the island of Jamaica and sink it all at once. I think certain heads might be found heavy enough for the purpose. Of course The late bill ruined the West Indies, that is settled. The consternation here has been very great. Nevertheless, I am glad and always shall be that the Negroes are virtually free. The power of of Papa's anger at the Emancipation Bill seems equal to that of his love for us. I know Papa does love us all and that he, too, suffers greatly in these turbulent times. We Barretts are cursed. I long to depart from all this, to climb from the window Papa sees me through, to live with another view that is not his and suits me better. I expect Bro wishes to see Sam as much as, as any of us here in Torquay. Dear Bro was up after midnight writing to Sam. I have a great mind to write on the question of slavery, amongst other injustices. Although as poets we have a solemn responsibility to do so, this subject is, I fear, perhaps beyond my sympathies and even beyond the sphere of human poetry in its absolute unapproachableness. Some concerns are more expressible than a woman than a man or then, or by a man than a woman. Is this so with black and white, slave and master? Confined to this bed, my stage has become my soul. But a page filled with poetry can be a stage for life as much as a play, a novel, a tapestry. Despite all dear Papa says, I instinctively believe a woman does have a business with questions like the question of slavery, she should not write sorry she should not write if she believes otherwise she should slide back into the antiquated days of the past live like a kept creature far removed from intelligent thought and speech for of what use is the pen to a woman shackled and enslaved if she refuses to pick it up and to slash the hands the bands that tie her slavery still finds favour in many an American quarter, disgraceful though it is. I pray to God I will never think as an American thinks or behave as they do. The moral ground they inhabit crumbles when liberty is at stake. (gasps) Papa has come, good health is restored. I hear his voice below in the drawing room. 27th of April. 1839, what a dreadful year is this, the sudden death of Cousin Richard, Custis of St James, Jamaica, Speaker of the House of Assembly, Richard, dear Papa's illegitimate cousin, had blood from we know not where, and now rumour has reached us that Richard was murdered, may the Lord God rest his soul, handsome after a fashion, though not as dark and handsome as Papa, Richard's face was one that I, as a child, did not care to look upon. His short upper lip was full of expression. His laughter rang harshly through Hope End. All too well he described his daily path as leading from the cane fields to a world of vindictive torture, where the standard punishment for any act considered a misdeed was 39 lashes of a thick cattle whip. To Barrett Hall, great house a residence to him of exquisite comfort and bliss. Contrary to Papa's belief, I was neither sleeping nor in bed when cousin Richard related fateful tales of runaway slaves. Straining to hear from my bed, from my seat on the stairs, I glimpsed, glimpsed the Negroes' untold misery and the savagery of the white Jamaicans. Heartily, Richard described punishments impossible to forget, yet ones I wish I could not remember. Described wrong following greater wrong. Described how he galloped from Falmouth, along Jamaica's north coast, to Greenwood, then Barrett Hall and Cinnamon Hill. Clouting the door, open up, open up. He had shouted to summon each militia member. He described the militia. All with horses and in in their best finery, mustering around 100 slaves to tackle down the runaways. One, a man one a woman, cousin I said with tears in my eyes, speak no more of this, yet his voice has never left mine ears, such a frightfully terrible tale he did did bestow upon them that I now cannot help my thoughts dwelling on that black woman slave they cornered. I am an abolitionist, I belong to a family who have long been West Indian slaveholders and if I believed in curses, I should be afraid. Richard said of the slave in question, Quashiba, was that her name? We trapped her, but it occurs to me that she did not die from that or from a flogging. Richard then had the audacity to say that slave, should be treated, slave women should be treated more kindly when about to give birth. That night with us at Hope End, he drank heartily, five bottles of the best Bordeaux claret, rum and whisky. I saw Cousin Richard last five years ago, still a man of violence and some malice, a man, too, of ill repute. The house of which he was speaker was known as the House of Forty Thieves. A man of talent, I have to say, who at one time did all he could to trample down poor papa, his speech in the House of Commons was not well received, in particular his views on flogging women. It was around that time, or possibly a little before, that Bro read to me of a large West Indian proprietor examined by a committee of the House of Lords, who could not name any overseer, dryer, or driver, or other man in authority who did not keep an African mistress. Did my own father's cousin commit murder? Was the victim a child or with child? Might the child have been his? And the last bit I'm going to read uh, is just from towards the end of the book. And this is the 20th of June, 1839. Despite the confusion it has has brought at a tender time of change on the West Indian estates, Sam now admits Papa ordered his return because of this and other tales and the latest controversy involving him, which Papa and he still refuse to reveal. Well, although pity is poor charity, I do pity poor Papa for Sam's jests and am frequently visited by the disquieting notion that West Indian Indian influences may, contrary to Papa's readjustment plan, have corrupted Sam morally all the more. Were I to attempt to raise this matter with Papa, I am certain he would treat me very cruelly indeed. But I never was acquainted with a young man of any mind or imagination, except, of course, dear Brosie. And Brosie believes I inhabit such high moral ground that he'll never climb to where I stand. I'm turning over in my mind a question which has haunted me for many a long month. What are the implications of my family's fast diminishing wealth having been derived from others' suffering? God chose not to grace me with Voltaire's genius, but a likeness to one situation Voltaire and I do share. For it is a dreadful bore to be here but it is very advantageous for weighing up such concerns of the mind Sam I inquire if one man's greed is another man's hunger who paid the price for our luxuries I let my eyelids fall shut Hope End Rises, immense, palatial from the bosom of the Mulvern Hills, shockingly exotic with its neo-Turkish minarets, domelets, and metal spires. Oriental, pagoda-like architecture, flamboyant and bizarre, and as eccentric as Papa could design, it attracts much attention. The young Princess Victoria is even surveying the grounds. I can see through the dining room with its crimson flock wallpaper to peacocks strutting on the terrace, the circular ended drawing room decorated in Italian style, the Moorish views hanging in the billiard room, the handsomely stuccoed library, and views across the parkland, which was well stocked with dough and stags until they threatened the Spanish chestnuts. All the splendor by which I am surrounded, all papa has gained comes from that bittersweet substance, sugar. I have pushed this away, fought it, but like the sinister silk black salt water stirring beneath the waxing moon, which can seep through the tiniest crack in the underbelly of a boat, or lashing rain that, bleed, that bleeds through a chink in a rotten wooded window frame, forming a pool on the sill. This fear has leaked into my mind. Okay, that's
0: it. (laughs) Laura, would you like to take some questions? Anyone got anything that they would like to see? It was a personal
2: one, really. How did you come away from Jamaica after three weeks and find all the background you didn't? expect? How did you feel personally about
1: that, uh, emotionally? Um, very confused, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, um, I first went to Jamaica, well, it, it's probably about 30 years ago, and I've been back since many times, but I found it very confusing, yes. I mean, it was a history I knew nothing about. Um, uh, that I had just hadn't learned at all. I'd, I knew of Elizabeth Barrett, but uh, Elizabeth Barrett Browning, but I didn't know any of this. Yeah. yeah so very confusing, I think, really. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you mentioned this void
2: between uh, fact and fiction. Um, I just wanted to ask, what were the difficulties and challenges with that that you faced when writing?
1: Um, that's a good question. I mean, I... I I think the thing that I found most difficult was because I knew Elizabeth had been written about so much. Um, and so I was... And because she kept diaries and wrote so many letters on virtually on a daily basis, everybody or anybody who studies her knows what she was doing on a day-to-day basis. And so it was very, very difficult to allow myself to be imaginative. Um, and I still probably have made some terrible mistakes. But um, I found I couldn't write it as a factual book because then I couldn't say the things that I wanted to say. Um, and there were a lot of gaps because a lot of the history in Jamaica isn't hasn't been documented. Um, so sometimes all I had was names of slaves um, and money that had been left to a slave or something like that by the Barrett family. But I'm, reading between the lines, um, it was clear that the stories existed, um, and I could only tell them by fictionalising it. So it was a leap of faith, um, but it's very, yeah, challenging. <laughs> I'm still waiting for letters to come, people say, she wouldn't have said that. <laughs> yeah. That was my question actually, have you been challenged for this book
0: at all by any EVV fans? No.
1: but having said that now they're they're all going to come (laughs) here not really no I mean um yeah (laughs) yeah so um it's a big risk to take to write about somebody who's this well-known um yeah, so I don't know, maybe the people who would challenge it would just find it so shockingly awful that they wouldn't read it anyway. <laughs> to, to For me to take that risk, actually. To, yeah. mm. cool. Well, because you said that you know, at the beginning you weren't going to give Elizabeth a voice at all. Mm. I mean, she had her voice. That's, that's great, what I felt. And I thought it was sort of Decided to give her a voice, mm. then I, I mean, it's clear that you, you're drawing from, from letters and other things and so forth. But where, the point at which you go beyond what's written on the page, you know, you know her letters to someone, where you're speculating,
0: mm. is that the point for you where you sort of catch your breath and, and think, well, can this go in or, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, did, I did check a lot of things. Yeah. There was a stage, I did really immerse myself in her letters for a very long time, and there was a stage where I did feel rightly or wrongly that I did know her on certain aspects. I, could, I felt that I knew what she was thinking because I'd read that around those areas, and, and that was, it took a long process to get took a long time to get to that place and the other things areas um, of her life I couldn't begin to write about or feel any confidence but I did i would read so much about what she felt that I did a sense to, in certain areas that I didn't know what she was thinking I, it was almost like and I think I think this is the same with many people when you with writing fiction you reach a stage where your character is talking to you and you're not creating them anymore and I I think it was much more difficult with somebody who's been written about so much but that did come uh, eventually yeah Um,
2: you talked about how this was research led and research driven and it's clear that there are personal connections as well throughout this whole building of the work. And I, I wondered where you see this going forward, what you see your next steps being um, upon completion of this part of the project, I suppose.
1: Uh, well, I did, after I finished the novel, I did do, because in 2007 it was the Bicentenary of the abolition of the slave trade, and so I did lots of projects in schools. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I haven't thought about any doing any more work on Elizabeth, really, or um, because I think a, a lot of people are like this when you've written a book, you've got, you, know, you don't want to look at it again. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I mean, I've I've been writing other things since uh, similar themes. Um, but not not historical. I don't think I'd ever do a historical novel again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, because of the personal. I mean, I think a lot of writers, even when we're writing fiction, there is a lot of ourselves, uh, and um, so this whole thing of writing from a different perspective. Uh, I thought, well, I mean, it's something that. Fiction writers do all the time, but because I was, I was writing from a white perspective instead of a black one. Elizabeth was writing from a black one instead of a white one, and what I found all of that really interesting. Actually, yeah, mm. the yeah, yeah. The mirror. Mm. Would you, would you have a yeah, just uh, yeah, it's sort of really off
2: that uh, subject. But at the very, very beginning, uh, you showed us a photograph of uh, a typical plantation owner's house, which was amazing and that was the house that owned the Waterfall. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and I, if I understood rightly, you said they, their estate stretched 12 miles or so. Mm-hmm. So when we got to uh, the photograph of Barrett Hall, mm-hmm. it seemed amazingly modest with a very overblown um, name. I mean, how did the Barrett stand in the hierarchy of the plantation
1: They were the largest plantation owners in Jamaica. They had... I don't know, I can't remember how many houses, about five great houses. Um, They had summer townhouses in Falmouth. Uh, Barrett Hall does look quite modest compared to the others and I've not understood why that is or whether it's just that so many bits of it have crumbled away. Um, Yeah, I'm not sure. Mm.
2: Just following on from that question, Maybe this is a little too detailed, but if I wonder where all the stuff went. You know, those houses must have been full of possessions that bore the imprint of slavery, so to speak. I remember seeing a piece of furniture in Waco at the Baylor Library that mm-hmm. came from one of the borough estates. It was a piece of furniture, but there was no framing of that of that. You know, I thought, oh my god, that's like Elaine you know, Free Good, you know, carrying a, a narrative. But it wasn't curated like that. And it did make me wonder where all the rest of the stuff went that must have been in these houses. I'm not expecting
1: you to know, but I thought you might have come across that. Well, I... Yeah, I I mean, I think... uh, I think... Some of the stuff, there was some looting that went on and local people, you know, when the houses were vacant after the slave rebellions, the ones that weren't lived in, um, I think local people came and took stuff. With Greenwood, the local people didn't want to go in it because they thought it was haunted and the priceless possessions there for a very, very long time. Um, But the things that happened were so terrible that local people just wouldn't go near it. so it's an interesting
2: contrast, given the memorialisation, most oh, yeah. Yeah. creation of relics around present reading, for example, mm. and yet this material history mm. has been lost to some extent. Mm-hmm. I just think that's mm-hmm. another aspect of colonialisation.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the houses were burned as well, um, as well. Yeah, yeah. But the history is not a history that Jamaica wants many Jamaican people are not, don't want to um, look at that history. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you very much. (laughs)